It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. There are many names and titles given to God's people in His Word, and some of them are commonly known and often used, like the name Israel for God's Old Covenant people and the name the Church for God's New Covenant people. Other titles and names are very obscure, hidden away in God's Word, and rarely claimed. Such is the case with the name that we're going to focus on on this episode. Just one time in the Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 6, God's people are referred to as a seal upon his heart. Now, before I can delve into the meaning of that, first you need to understand the nature of that mysterious and unique book in the Bible called the Song of Solomon. It is the most well-known of all the songs that Solomon wrote, and it's highly prophetic and deeply symbolic. It's full of metaphors and symbols. It's a series of conversations between a bride and her beloved bridegroom, the shepherd king bridegroom. Of course, it's representative of the earthly bride of Christ and the heavenly shepherd king bridegroom to whom we are married in a covenant relationship. When you read the Song of Solomon, it just impresses your mind with the passion that God has for every person he is married to eternally. He's in love with you. He's overflowing with love towards you. And the desire he has towards you is a deep spiritual passion to be completely one with you mentally, emotionally, spiritually, to unite with you and to impart to you everything that he has, that he purchased with his blood so that he could fill you with it and manifest it in your life, his peace, his joy, his power, his authority. So he is in love with his bride. You need to understand that to get a grip on what's being conveyed by this passage of Scripture. The bride is appealing to the bridegroom, and she says these words, Set me as a seal upon your heart, and as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. What a beautiful passage of Scripture. Listen, the enemy may come in like a flood on your life, and Revelation chapter 12 depicts Satan as a great red dragon, and out of his mouth comes a flood, and with it he tries to drown the woman and the remnant of her seed who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. But may I quote Song of Solomon 8, 7, many waters cannot quench love. This is a deep love relationship 
between the heavenly bridegroom and his earthly bride. He has deep passion and desire to know you, to be known by you, to live inside of you and to live through you in a very relevant way. And really, this is an appeal by the bride of Christ for that very thing to happen. She says to the bridegroom, set me as a seal upon your heart and a seal upon your arm. What is the bride requesting? What is a seal? And why would she ask to be a seal upon the heart of the bridegroom and upon his arm? Well, there are over 60 references to seals in the Bible. And what is it? It's a portable device used to stamp wax or clay or a document to show ownership or authenticity. It is just as authoritative and legally binding as a signature. In ancient times, it was often worn as a piece of jewelry attached to a necklace or mounted on a signet ring. And so the bride is actually asking to fill a position similar to the role of a seal as a means of authorizing certain documents or making certain transactions. It was a necessary accessory in those days. No person would go anywhere who was involved in business or commerce without his seal. And in other words, the bride is saying, don't go anywhere or do anything in this world unless you use me to accomplish it. But there's much more to it than that. See, the word seal actually describes three things. It is the object used to make an impression. It is the act of making that impression. And it is the end result of that impression. To seal something with a seal produces a seal. So it has a triune meaning. It is a powerful symbol and a beautiful unveiling of truth. Let me give you an example from the Old Testament of the use of a seal. When Daniel was put in the lion's den, the king, Darius, had a stone rolled across the mouth of the cave and then Possibly some clay was placed between the connection of the stone and the outline of the hole, and into it, Darius pressed his signet ring, and his associate lords pressed their signet rings into that clay, and it was a way of making a statement that the king had authorized this execution, and anyone who thought to rescue Daniel that might rush up to that location would see the king's seal and realize no unauthorized entrance. It was a mark of authorization. And remember that, store that away in your thinking as we progress with this revelation. Now in the New Testament, one of the primary scriptures that refers to a seal is Ephesians chapter 1 verses 13 and 14. It talks about your initial experience of salvation when you came to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I quote, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption 
of the purchased possession. Now, of course, that scripture is talking about you and I being sealed. But the symbol from the Song of Solomon is about the bride of Christ actually being a seal or functioning in the role of a seal. So it's a different direction of symbolism altogether. Now, let me read it again. Now that we have that foundational knowledge, remember that a seal transfers an image that is unique and a seal transfers an image that is identified with its owner. Let's read again. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. The bride appeals to the bridegroom and says, Set me as a seal upon your heart and as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death. Moffat's translation of that same passage puts it this way. Wear me as a seal close to your heart and wear me like a ring upon your hand. So let's dig into the symbolic meaning of this request of the bride. In other words, she's praying that you will carve into my life an image that reflects who you are, that you will cut lines of Christ-like character and biblical truth into my innermost soul so that you can use me to influence an ungodly world around me that is full of deception and use me to manifest your power and your authority to extend the kingdom of God in this world. That's in essence what she's praying when she says, set me as a seal upon your heart. In other words, wear me like a signet ring. And that speaks of about eight different vital truths that were presented as a prayer from the bride to the bridegroom. Number one is ownership, because the seal belongs to the one who makes it. It's a sign of ownership. It is a personal possession that is very important to function in this world. And when she says, set me as a seal upon your heart, she's saying, own me. (laughs) Let me be a valuable possession. But she's also pleading for intimacy because a necklace worn underneath the clothing is next to the heart of the wearer. And isn't that a way for the bride to say, I want to be close to your heart. I want to hear your heartbeat, the heartbeat of what God wants me to do and what God wants to do through me. John, the apostle, laid his head on Jesus' bosom and heard the heartbeat of divinity. No wonder of all the apostles, he communicated the beauty of the character of the Lord Jesus and the love that he gives. Yes, when the bride says, set me as a seal upon your heart, she's saying, I want to be intimate. I want to draw nigh to you, and I want you to place me in a secret place close to your heart where I know the will of God and hear the heartbeat of God in my life. So we've covered the first three, really, in all that explanation. Number one is ownership. Number two is intimacy. And number three is value. She wants to be valued. She wants to be treasured. She wants to be important to him. She wants to be considered, she wants to be considered a very important jewel-like object to him. Number four is protection. 
because if someone owned a seal in that day, if it was ever stolen, then that person's identity could be stolen and misrepresented. It's similar to someone stealing your identity by stealing your credit card here. I've had that happen to me. I used a credit card one time years ago to purchase some gas for my vehicle in North Carolina, and within five minutes, I bought a refrigerator in Arkansas and walked into a hair salon in California. And so uh, my identity was stolen, and all of a sudden, all these things started happening. Well, the enemy wants to steal our identity. And so if he can take someone far away from the heart of God, he can use us to misrepresent Christianity in this world in a damaging way, a very damaging way. And so this is an appeal for protection. Protection, set me as a seal upon your heart, put me in a protected place where it would be very difficult for me to be stolen. See, the Lord is our keeper. The Lord is our protector. The Lord is the author and the finisher of our faith. And what he starts in us, he intends to finish. And the scripture very clearly says he's able to keep that which we commit unto him against that day. And that day may mean the day of trial, the day of tribulation, where you feel completely overwhelmed. Well, set me as a seal upon your heart. Put me in a place of protection where the enemy cannot steal me away from the truth or steal me away from the God of truth. But this is also a prayer for selflessness. How do I get that? A seal does not have its own identity. A seal exists to represent the identity of the one who owns it. And if we truly function as a seal upon God's heart and a seal upon his hand or his arm, like a signet ring, then we are identified with the one who adorns himself with us because our identity isn't important. His identity is all important. And we exist to impress the world around us with his nature and his word, with the revelation of who he is and the revelation of what he wants to share with them. So it's a sign of selflessness. Number six to ask God to set you as a seal upon his heart is also a plea for God-likeness because we have to first be sealed before we can become a seal. See, a seal always bears an image, and that image is transferred to whatever substance it's pressed into, whether it's clay or wax or a piece of paper or a thin sheet of metal. If you press it with a seal, there's an exact reproduction of an image. And certainly a sealed document or a sealed scroll could not be opened except by the one who actually placed those seals on the scroll. And so if God seals us, he seals into us his presence, his promises, his covenant, so that nothing can break that seal except the one who gives it. And that seal is the impression of his character into our souls. That's why we can be kept from the world around us. That's why we can overcome the world around us, 
because the love of God in us is stronger than the hate that's in the world. The joy of God in us is stronger than the depression that fills the world around us. The peace of God in us is stronger than the anxiety that swirls like a dark cloud in the world around us. See, he seals us to impress us, to shape us into his character. And all his attributes and personality traits are transferred to us and make us overcomers over the lower nature and the corruptive world. Well, if we become a seal in the hands of God, then that same image is transferred not only into us, but through us in our interactions with the world. We first become Christ-like in order to have a Christ-like effect on others. We become forgiving people so that we can spread forgiveness in the world. We become compassionate people so that we can spread compassion in the world. And in so doing, we are like a seal upon his heart and upon his arm, or worn like a signet ring on his hand. Number seven, it also speaks of authority. Because if you sealed a document, and there are examples in the Bible where this took place, then even if the one who entered into some kind of business transaction was absent, but the mark of his seal was present on the document, it carried just as much authority as the personal presence of the one who owned the seal. I hope you hear what I'm saying. If we are a seal on God's heart, we are vessels of his authority. We are the means by which his authority is extended into the world. There are millions of people bound to sin and under the curse of Adam, but we, with the word of truth, can go forth among them and set the captives free because the authority to share the forgiveness that is available at the cross and the resurrection life that is available at the open tomb can raise people from being dead in sin to freedom and liberty and being alive in Christ. Yes, we are the means of his authority being expressed in the world. And when we pray for the sick and the sick are healed, and there have been thousands of times over the past five decades of ministry that I've seen people healed. I've seen the blind receive their sight. I've seen the deaf receive hearing. I've seen cripples jump up and walk by the power of Jesus' name, by the power of the promise of God. And I was like a signet ring that was used by God to press his authority into what looked like an impossible situation. And I dared to say, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And the character of Christ penetrated that impossibility with his miracle power. See, we are the means by which God expresses his authority in this world. And thereby, number eight, we become permanent influencers. We become world changers. That's what it means to be a seal upon his heart, close enough to him to feel the heartbeat of God, and then a seal upon his arm or upon his hand. His arm extended into the world to bring forth his heart's desire, which is to 
not only reclaim humanity, but to manifest kingdom principles in this world until heaven comes to earth totally at the end of this age. And we're part of the process. And so what was said to Zerubbabel in the Old Testament could also be said to every one of us that truly fill this role. Now, you're not going to fill this role if you're just the kind of person that wants a comfortable Christianity. But if you desire intimacy with God, and if you deeply desire to be used by God in significant ways, then this role is yours. And it's going to be very similar to something God promised Zerubbabel. He was the governor of Jerusalem and Judea in the days that the children of Israel returned from Babylonian bondage. And they came back to rebuild the temple, which seemed an impossible task. And yet God spoke through Haggai and said, the glory of the latter house will be greater than the glory of the former house. How could that ever be? When the first temple was built, the glory of God rushed into that temple with such intensity, the priests could not even stand to minister. They collapsed under the weight of the kabod, the glory of God. How could it be greater than that? I'm sure they were expecting a repetition of that kind of manifestation, and it never came. And maybe, just maybe, they were disappointed and thought Haggai's prophecy did not come to pass but it was moved up to a higher level of fulfillment when God incarnate in a human body walked in the temple area and taught. Oh yes, the second temple was built to a larger size than ever before. It had the court of the women, the court of the Gentiles added to it. It was a beautiful edifice. It was architecturally a wonder of the world, just like the previous one, the Temple of Solomon. However, the greater glory was not the size of the temple or the architectural beauty of it, but the fact that God on earth walked into that area and taught the truths of the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. And Zerubbabel had a very important part, a very important role in bringing this to pass. He didn't live when the Messiah came but he was very much a part of the reconstruction of the temple so that prophecy could come to pass. Because of that, God said these words in Haggai chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. He said to Haggai, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake heaven and earth. I will overthrow the throne of the kingdom. I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overthrow the chariots and those who ride in them. The horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. That's talking about Armageddon. That's talking about the final destruction of the armies of the world. Well, that did not happen in Zerubbabel's day, but... He had an important part to play in the prophetic plan that would ultimately bring it to fulfillment because it is yet future. However, listen to verse 23. God says to the governor of Judah, Zerubbabel, in that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, says the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. In other words, God was saying, I'm going to use you to be a channel of my authority, 
I'm going to use you to impress my will upon your generation. Even though the temple area is rubble, it was destroyed, it's being used as a garbage heap. It looks like there's no way you could ever rebuild it to its former glory. And yet you are part of a plan that will exert such divine influence that ultimately the glory will be greater. And if Zerubbabel could be a signet ring, a seal upon God's hand, then you and I can be a seal upon his heart and a seal upon God's hand. Ask him to use you to impress the world around you with the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ, the power of his name, the promises of his word, so that the world around you is changed because of your existence in this place. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shreve, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given His people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be.